0: G'day everybody, welcome to the latest episode of the I'm Curious to Know project. Today I'm pleased to welcome Lucas Huser, Recovering Pro Cyclist and Athlete Marketing Manager at Cliff Bar. So what does a Recovering Pro Cyclist mean anyway? Throughout the conversation you'll hear about Lucas' journey of self-discovery and the work he's undertaking to live into his own identity following more than a decade in the pro peloton. You'll also hear about the life-altering crash that he was a part of while leading the US National Championship Road Race in 2014, alongside Taylor Finney. That particular crash set in motion a series of events that led to drastic changes in both of their lives. Sometimes it's easy to forget that the impactful sporting moments we experience as fans and spectators have a human side. And today we get to hear these tales from an insider's point of view. This was a meaningful conversation that I'm glad that I was able to have. Please enjoy. I'm stoked to have today's guest with me. It's been a long time coming. Um, We caught up a little bit before the call, uh, but my memory of first meeting Lucas, I'm gonna share with you. We were sitting outside uh, Whole Foods at the 29th, I think it's the 29th Ave or 29th Street Mall and the Whole Foods there uh alex diebold who was a guest on the show and i was sitting having a coffee and lucas walks out and alex says oh lucas come over here and meet travis uh and then i have this feeling of energy i i can kind of get a sense of someone's energy i was like i like that guy we spoke for about a minute and i'm like i really i actually really like the guy i want to get to know him at some point uh so fast forward however many years later and here we are lucas welcome to the show thanks travis
1: i i i had we had the same uh Memory. It was in the sense of just that uh, I, I remember meeting you and I remember the, the energetic connection. I didn't recall exactly where. Um, yeah. And then I've been following you ever since as if I, you know, I was yeah. known each other our whole lives.
0: I think that's a bit of the joy of social media as well is, you know, we had that brief interaction. I follow you. I'm able to like comment on stuff you're doing. And it's like, you know, feeling like I do know you and I have a window into your world. I agree. One of the positives. You,
1: you, you got to weigh the positives and negatives on this one. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, now, May 26 is a pretty impactful day in your history. I had to actually bring it up to you. So um, there is a memory that I want to talk about or an incident I want to talk about um, where you and Taylor Finney, uh, you know, leading the, the U.S. national champs uh, four years ago, May 26th in Chattanooga, Tennessee, six, sorry, 2014. Taylor crashes in front of you. You're able to kind of keep it together. Your bike takes the brunt of the incident. And then you've described that moment as a moment where your life kind of spiraled out of control or it spiraled away from your understanding of what life had been up until that point.
1: It was such an impactful moment in my life. And I didn't know why then. And I was so lost right after it happened. But to look back on it now, it was it was the beginning of who I am today versus the ending of something I was.
0: You describe yourself as a recovered pro cyclist. Can you give some context on your career? You know, you raced for 11 years, you raced all over the world. It was somewhat unexpected. You know, you're out of college, go to Europe, start racing your bike. Tell me a bit more about what that career was like for you.
1: For so many people, it's it's a, it's a dream, right? It's something you work for and, you, and it's something you're, you're going after. And then it happens, you know, it came here. For me, it was always like, this side thing that was just like, I love to do. And I, and I I guess it wasn't the lack of believing in my talent. It was like, "Mm, that's never going to happen. I'm not good enough. Or I, I, you know, a little bit of self-doubt or whatever it may, may have been at the time. Um, So I just kept plugging away. I kept having fun at the sport, but I also knew that there was, there was another side of me. There was, there was, you know, Lucas, the human being that was kind of going about his coming of age story and and going to university and, and getting my degree. And and even when I got that first pro contract, I still was like, no, I, I need to, I need to focus on these other things. Cause I, I don't fully believe it yet. Remember waters was like, okay, training camp is, is February. And I'm like, cool. I can't go. I got, I have school, I have finals that, that week. And he's like, wait, what, <laughs> like, you can't, like, you can't not go to training camp. I was like, and I can't not finish my final. And he's like, okay, fine. Come, come. I think I could maybe come for like the last day or two or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I was always putting those things first. Until finally, like, this magic happened. Here's your pro contract. Like, here's, here's where you're going to live in Jerome, Spain. We are going to go do this. And at that point, I was like, all right, let's go. I'm all in. What was that distinction for you that made you say, okay, I was all in? I think it was this, this series of things that narrowed down of, like, I wanted to be this generalist. Like, I wanted to know everything. But to be a professional athlete, you have to just do one thing really well. And I think it was a series of letting go of all those other things. And then finally getting to the point of, like, now it's time to focus. And that, and that is also a product of my personality of, like, I need to get to a place of, of 100% focus on one thing um, in order to be the best that I possibly can. Um, there was a the physical act of, of, you know, signing a pro contract, getting your first paycheck, getting your first, like, kit, your free bike, all these things that, like, I just was like, this is so odd, right? This is such a not a normal path. You know, like I, I was a kid at like 15 and had the hand-me-down bike with size 46 shoes that was stuffed with like with newspaper. What showed up for my first ride in 50 degrees and and raining with like just shorts and a jersey. So I'm like, this is this is awesome. I love doing this, right? But I just like I had never had that experience of 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 just like oh my god, this is this is how you get treated as a professional, which was everything was taken care of, care everything was taken care of for you the tangible pieces was like the most mesmerizing. Right. And then like the act of moving to Europe and all these things, I was like, okay, it's in motion. I'm not going to stop the train. I still don't know where it's going. Let's get on.
0: Tell me about some of those early days that you're getting into the sport. Like, did you have mentors? Did you have people, people kind of helping you along that journey or was it a bit of figure it out for yourself?
1: I came up in a really weird era in the sport. Um, As we all know now, I didn't know at the time there was this like, this transition happening in the sport that was kind of behind the scenes of like the old era, the old guard, if you will, into the, the this new generation. We were kind of this middle generation. Sometimes I call us the lost boys, but some, you know, it's like this group of us that was stuck kind of right, right in the middle of, of what we see now as this kind of flourishing young generation and, and the, the old guard. So even if I, I looked to the older generation as role models, I looked to them advice but there was something going on and i didn't know at the time that they weren't giving me that what i needed so i turned to positive role models in my life that i had always had you know it, it, for the most part i kind of went about it on my own uh, but i did come from a really solid local cycling community
0: um tell me about that kind of that lost boys that middle generation feeling you know there's it's very topical now obviously with lance's 30 for 30 coming out and uh, I'm guessing that that's kind of the the era and the guard you're referring to is, is that group of people. Tell me about how you know what. How can you reconcile that experience now, knowing what happened, knowing you know how things may have been different, um, but also the opp- opportunities that were generated from that that old guard that may not have existed if they didn't
1: exist. Looking back now, I would have done everything exactly the same. Right. Like I, I would not have changed a thing because it was such an amazing experience. And, and, you know, we learn from all of these mistakes and we move on, we persevere and I I couldn't control what happened before me. Right. And I was I was part of this transition for a reason. Right. And I like I guess I like to think that, like, we just helped to usher it into this new new phase. And, yeah, I mean, we we all know what happened with with the 30 for 30 happening now. It's obviously prevalent again we can reflect and we can reflect on the positive and we can reflect on the negative, but looking forward, there's, there's such an amazing crop of, of you know, Americans and just the next generation of cycling. Like look mm-hmm. at who's winning right now. Right. At least before we, we all shut down. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, there's 19 year old kids, 20, 21 year old kids winning the tour de France. Right. Like that's like, that's something that never would have happened before. And that is a generational shift. Yeah. right? That Like we have seen it, it's happened. It's here. Um, and it's really exciting for the sport so all the stuff that happened before was just got us to where we are today so who's yeah. to say that if it was different we, we'd be in a good or bad place right now we, we don't know I was just part of that whole machine just turning over I didn't know what I, what I was doing at the time and I and I couldn't change the timing of what I did
0: it may be you weren't in the past I don't know but sound like you're at peace with with the whole experience that you had in, in cycling
1: now yeah, I mean, if I look back when i you know, it, when 90, 90 years old and the you know, 11 know 12 years I spent doing this, like it's a small portion of my life, but it was, yeah. it was significant and I, and I, and I want to look back on it fondly. I don't want to look back on it with, with yeah. negative emotions.
0: Now let's go back to Chattanooga. You know, you make a decision to stay with Taylor. He's crashed. He's clearly in a lot of trouble, you know, a compound fracture of his leg and the pictures are, are horrific and you're there on the spot and you make the decision um, to stop and wait
1: with him in that moment. Tell me about what you were thinking. You know, I've thought about this one a lot. It, I, I, it wasn't really a decision. It was the right thing to do. And, and that, that again, is a product of my, my personality and, and who I was at the time, who I still am. And it, it's doing the right thing because it needs to be done. Acting in, in the in the time of crisis, acting in the time of, you know, high stress. I, just being able to act methodically and thoughtfully um, is something I'd always trained myself to do the act of it all was, was just something I thought was the natural piece, right? Like that wasn't different. That wasn't out of the ordinary of my normal human behavior. It yeah. was all the things that came after, <laughs> which was, which I didn't understand, you know, and that, and that's just kind of a, a, a also a little bit of a testament to the sport is that everyone expected you, expected me to not be there. Right? Everyone expected me to keep racing, keep doing the, the things I was trained to do. And the, the, the sport forever, like just tried to, it, tr- it tried to beat the nice out of me. Generally I'm a, a nice and kind human being. It, at the time, it didn't really support that that character, and so there was a lot of confusion, you know, on the back end of like why why I would choose to do that.
0: All of us as human beings probably would like to think that we would act in the same way that you did, but given the conditioning that you had, as you described, maybe not everyone would have. And there was that questioning of like, well, why didn't you just keep racing? Did you ever like give it a second thought when people start bringing that up to you of like, why didn't you just keep going? Did you ever think for a moment, well, what if I Had have kept going, or was it just so clear cut for you that human instinct took over and you made the right decision without question?
1: Yeah, I I actually never thought about what if I would have kept going. I I remember distinctly, finally, when everybody was gone, I was the last person there. um, You know, somebody throwing new wheels on my bike and it was, you know, a couple, (laughs) a broken pedal, a broken seat, but it was semi ridable and got down to the bottom of the hill uh, only to watch the race go by. It just seemed, it seemed at the moment the most unimportant thing in the entire world like the the the, the, yeah. the thing that i wanted to pay attention to least was right there in front of me and it was the thing that was my whole world for so long before that um and, and it yeah. gave that really interesting perspective of okay this here's this thing that i do for a living it's been my life right i i've been doing it since since i was you know a teenager um but it just it just doesn't feel right anymore what a moment in time
0: that you experienced. I wanna, I wanna stay in this for a, a moment longer and I wanna talk about the relationship that you and Taylor had before and then how that was able to, or how that was affected following this moment and kind of what that may be
1: now. Taylor and I were not best friends by any means. We were training partners. Um, we had a really unique connection me being one of the smallest riders, him being one of the biggest riders, like we had this funny connection where I loved training with him. In 2012, we had, we had taken part in like a two and a half week long training camp together lo- locally here in Boulder, Colorado. It was designed to help get him to the Olympics and get him as fast and fit as he possibly could be. Um, yeah. So everything we did, we simulated the, um, the, the Olympic schedule. So I think it was Wednesdays we did the, the time trial, like a, a simulation time trial race and Saturdays we did a simulation road race. So we had a whole course set up in Boulder. We had, we had th- three motor pacers that would like tag onto this group of 12 that if you got dropped you'd motor paced back and we like simulated these races and we all went off to do races. He went off to the to the Olympics right? I think three or four of the riders from that camp got selected for the Olympics and it was just this really cool experience and then you know carried into racing it was like you know we, we, we were friends. We knew each other more than more than others but yet we were, we were still competitors right and so when we went into that day like i was super super proud of him for winning the the tt national championships a few days before i knew to follow that guy right like as a competitor to that and an athlete you have to know your your competitors as much as you want to be them right and, and i knew that that he was a guy to follow and so we had done countless numbers of descents at 60 70 miles an hour in a super tough position here in colorado why not do it in in Chattanooga <laughs> on the yeah. best, of, one of the best descenders in the Peloton's wheel, right? So it was a, there was an element of trust that we had built that uh, allowed me to say, okay, I am going to go this fast behind this guy uh, and just completely let go of any thought of, or fear of, of crashing um, because I trust him, right? And it, you know, turns out it wasn't his fault. It wasn't our fault, right? But And mistakes happen. Did you ever talk about what happened did you were you able to kind of share your side of the story and and have him share yours or do you, have you guys not yeah I mean, we feel back and forth yeah we've had um we've had some interesting conversations about it um, in the sense that like we feel like cosmically connected in a way that i i kind of know when he something's up with him and he kind of knows when something's up with me um, yeah. and we tend to check in on like really important moments in our life we don't call or text every day um if anything if it's you know once every few months or twice two or three times a year but I know he's always there, right? I know we're always kind of connected on this level. And we've, pro- we've both clearly processed on our own.
0: Well, I appreciate you opening up and sharing. I think it's a, it's a really interesting lead into the next part of the conversation, which is you um, really redefining and, and re- refinding yourself as a human being and tapping back into Lucas the human. Um, can you tell me about what that journey has been like from
1: that moment until now, six years later? Oh man, <laughs> it's been a, it's been a big transition. Um, I remember the January first, twenty sixteen. Uh, that was the first year I was technically not, or the first day I was technically not a professional cyclist. Um, I was I was very very lost. the The day that that crash happened, like a series of events were set into motion that things were going to just change my life, with whether I wanted to or not. And it's one of those things where change happens in a moment. It's us, uh, us as humans, that keep them from actually cha- actually happening or ex- accepting them. You know, think of right right now, right with 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 the, the state of affairs that the world is in, right? Something a change happened, and or something happened and everybody changed, like our behavior, our human behavior changed, uh, and that can happen instantly. It's just the fact that like it's really hard to accept and, and adopt that change. Um, yeah. So the moment that I crashed, things changed. The week after, I was supposed to be racing in in Philly. Uh, I met my I met my future wife. Right, um, and then you know a few months later, because I, I had not been racing after that, we had we met briefly and then we met again, right, and we met more significantly the second time. She she would she would she would kill me for getting the dates wrong. It was the week after that we actually sorry that we had met for the second time, right. But that was the moment that we we knew each other were we we were kind of set set up for each other. I wasn't quite ready to accept it. I went through this whole series of events to get to this place where I was okay with stopping this stopping like racing yeah. um, and then a whole year of transition where my wife was like here is the time and the freedom to do this go ahead like here's your space and, and I didn't know what the hell I was getting myself into yeah. but like nine months into quote-unquote retirement I was I was I didn't know what I wanted to do right I thought everybody else had to figure it out I missed the boat where am I where do I even start you have a whole yeah. world available to you I guess I just started with the bike industry <laughs> so Two days I two days before uh, innerbike was to start I just purchased a plane ticket uh, packed a backpack got on the plane and went to innerbike um, I didn't even have a place to stay uh, the the, uh, the first person I run into as I walk in to into the building was was Gary Erickson uh, from Cliff bar yeah. um, we had known each other private private pri- previously um, throughout my pro career and we decided that we would just sit down and have a quick coffee and chatted and caught up um, and then I kind of entered the show, and I gravitated towards Cliff Bar because that was well, why not, right? Long story short, is it turns out there was a, jo- a position open. I ended up applying for it, ended up not getting the position, got called back three months later. Was like, hey, we have another position open for you. Would you be interested? Um, and that was that was the the moment in which I said, okay, it's it's time to commit again. You know, that whole, like, I don't know what to do, all these things to do, the same thing I did with professional cycling. Here's an opportunity to narrow your focus. Uh, And they gave me that opportunity. And so we we packed up, we moved to the Bay Area in California, and January 31st, 2017, a a whole new world started. Planned serendipity somewhat from what I can gather.
0: You know, you don't know why you have to be somewhere, but you're planning on being there and, you know, good things happen when you when you put yourself in good positions. Tell me yeah. about what that journey from January 1st, 2016 to January 31st, 2017, what was some of the work that you were able to do to get yourself in a place to be ready? And the reason I ask this, there's people who have lost their job. There's people who are currently athletes who are attached to a certain identity around their role that's taken away results. You're not able to erase all of these things. So I think there is a human opportunity for us to really assess and think about what we can be doing
1: to not attach ourselves to our roles or our jobs or our results anymore. That's the, one of the hardest things in the world to do. I'm, I'm not going to lie. And so for me, it was this massive identity shift in that beginning of 2016. I didn't know who I was and I had, and I, but I did know that I was no longer a pro cyclist, right? But I had identified as a pro cyclist for the longest time. And so what I did for that next year uh, and and still doing is, is unravel my entire pro cycling career and unravel who that person was, um, and really get down into the nitty gritty of, of why that person became who he was and and why he wanted to to be a pro cyclist. Right. Um, the the easiest way I explain it to people is if you've seen Fight Club, you know yeah. you have your you have your Tyler Durden, right? And yeah. that pro cyclist was my Tyler Durden, right? And that was that was this this guy that all of a sudden was was. Perfectly spouting off, you know, eight-second sound bites, or, or really just like get, getting into the just the heart of the sponsorship model of Pro Cycling. I could support a sponsor, like hit a sound bite, jump into media in, in any way that I needed to do, but it really was almost regurgitating the same thing over and over again, yeah. and taking taking input from the outside and just saying, okay, this is mine, and I'm gonna re- regurgitate and put it back to you put it to the to to the world when when the reality is the work that i've been doing is what what do i believe in right what do i want to say who am i and all these pieces that you start to uncover that i never knew were were there you can you start to go way back and i granted i've done this with help right i've had i've had a psychotherapist on my side for the last six years and without him i don't think i'd be where i am today um and without the support of of my wife and, and now we have our two beautiful kids like this is my new purpose, and this is my new path. Yeah. Um, but it is hard. <laughs> it is hard to let let stuff go.
0: Transitioning for me from you know athlete to job to now dad to where does you know everything else fit in is hard. People who have been furloughed or lost their job are going through it. Athletes yeah. are going through it, so it's never an easy task. But our evolution as human beings, which I can clearly see in front of me with you, is is the most important part of what we want to do. We want to show up as as our most fulfill, fulfilled. Um, and self-aware people that we possibly can for the people that we love and that, you know, and for ourselves, most importantly, really. Yeah,
1: I mean, look at what this, um, this this opportunity we're given now, right? This, like, change happens. Like, we are forced into ourselves. Uh, we we're forced into our homes to be with ourselves, whether you're alone, whether you're with your family, whether you've lost something, we have lost someone, right? We, we are forced to to see ourselves for who we truly are. You can't really hide when you're it's just you. There's no reason to hide. It took me four full years to really feel like I, I was no longer a professional cyclist and I was okay with with who I am today.
0: How did that process um, impact your role? So, you know, you're still finding yourself here, the athlete marketing manager, you're dealing with athletes on a daily basis.
1: How has that evolution been, you know, in your actual job and in your seat? Oh, man, it, it's been, it, professionally, I, I've learned an entire world in the last three years. And I went into Cliff Bar as a coordinator. Uh, which is an entry-level position, something I could apply for straight out of college. And as a you know, as a thirty-three-year-old man with a child on the way, uh, you know, I, it was it was something that I I knew I had to do. But I knew I was going back a few steps. Right? Yeah. It's like I had I, I felt like I had earned my stripes. I was top I was top of my game at least where I knew as far as I could get in the sport. Here I am pulling myself back, and I said, "Okay, Lucas, you got to go back to being a a cat three, cat four whatever it may be you need to start working right you need to put your head down tail between your legs and just get stuff done yeah. and, and i actually remember writing in, in writing it down i compared where i want to be at cliff bar to to what a cat like the categories of, of racing would be yeah it's right? so like all right lucas you're like a cat four cat three right now it's time to earn your upgrade points and just went to work um, yeah. you know i was placing orders and pulling pulling warehouse shipments and and that was, you know, that was something that I knew. I just had to, I just had to do, right? I was, yeah. I was used to doing the work, right? To get to where mm-hmm. um, we can start thinking bigger, start thinking more strategically. But I just knew that I had, I had to just earn my stripes at Cliff Bar. But yet I came in pretty, pretty bullish. I, I learned that after a while. Like I learned to just do my work, but I had all these great ideas. And then all of a sudden you realize like all those great ideas are great ideas that um, yeah. require an actual planning and strategy behind them. So here I am two promotions later and and I feel a little bit more lovely.
0: Do you think that having that intense focus on just doing your job helped you find yourself and find your way out of that kind of mire that you found yourself in when you first left being a cyclist?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's purpose, right? It's, it's, yeah. you're, you're working for something and I think good employers provide that. Like they, they provide purpose. Um, I think yeah. Cliff Bar is known for leading with purpose. Um, we have a values based business model that is unlike anyone else out there. Uh, look at what we're doing now with, with four, almost 14 million bars donated, uh, you know, to, to, to frontline workers, to, you know, to food banks across to, to community organizations across the country, across the world now, um, uh, so that that was helpful. I didn't know that at the time, but they, they were providing a space for me to say, "Here's your here's your purpose. Here's your focus. Go to work, and you can also go home, and you can you can see your family, right? You can love your family, <laughs> and don't forget to love yourself."
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, and you can switch off. You know, it doesn't have to be, the all encompassing thing. You're not worried necessarily about what you're eating, when you're getting asleep, when you know when your next workout is. You've got, you know, a start time and an end time.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah
0: tell me about that so you've you've moved into this uh athlete marketing manager role you're dealing with high level athletes across a number of sports how has your experience or how was your experience as an athlete being able to translate to that role and understanding what athletes are going through and their needs
1: you know in some ways that what i had done is 100 percent relatable to what i am doing and in some ways there's this whole brave new world of things i i am learning you know we're part of the sports marketing team you know we're we're it, entrusted with our the well-being and, and support of our, our athlete roster, which at Cliff Bar is synonymous with the use case of our of our food. Right. We are we are the number one energy bar for a reason. We've developed performance food for athletes, right, and for active adventure. And then we've also developed a line of everyday energy which supports uh, all of us in between our, our adventures, right? And so it's helpful to to know what goes inside your head as an athlete and what the athlete sometimes is trying to say. When, when they can't exactly convey that message. Um, and so in some sense we're, we're this we're this you know intermediary step between the athletes and, and our overall business strategy and our and our growth goals and objectives. but we help align those athletes to those other things. even though it, from the outside it's a lot of just relationship management with our athletes. On the inside it's it's developing entire marketing campaigns around or around our athletes and what they and what they do. Um, but also trying to let them be them because that's the uniqueness of athletes, right? And, and that's the understanding that where I was is you have to just let them be them. You can't force too much down down their throats, and you can't tell them to say anything. Have there been some memorable campaigns
0: or ideas or things that you've been able to bring to life within that scope
1: that you're especially proud of? Right before this, our office shut down March, March 11th. So on, on March 9th, we launched our new sustained energy campaign. And our sustained energy energy campaign was was a bit of a, a throwback to the original Cliff Bar, but also a reminder of how this this one little bar, this unique bar, kind of changed the landscape of, of performance nutrition forever. And that is still very, very relevant today. Plus, we plus we do all these other things. Um, so it was the first like athlete centric marketing campaign we had done in the time that I had been at Cliff, but probably in the last six or seven years. Unfortunately, it went on hold uh, very very shortly after, and so you know the world wasn't ready for that, or we weren't we weren't ready to give it to the world. And so we're going to slowly start getting back into that. But well, one of the cool parts was we changed the iconic uh, climber on the cliff bar package with six leading uh, women athletes yeah. uh, in their respective sports, and that was a really cool project to work on because all of a sudden you get to put Venus Williams and Megan Rapino on a on a package, and you're also putting Katarina Nash, right? And Lakey Peterson and and some people that are kind of more into in our, in our core sport. And that's the uniqueness of working for a nutrition brand is everybody has to eat, right? So our athletes aren't just cyclists. Our athletes aren't just runners, right? Our athletes, I mean, I think we have over 20 different sports on our athlete roster. That's just a testament to what we can do as a nutrition brand, um, but also the excitement of, of my job.
0: What was the reaction from those athletes when you brought that idea to them and said, "Hey, we want to change this iconic wrapper. We want to include you on, on there. Here's how we're going to
1: bring it to life." It's hard to believe, right? It's all, but, but and I don't want to draw this direct comparison. However, it's been said before, so it's like being on a Wheaties box, yeah. right? That kind of like that iconic shift into, this, this. We're going to put your face on a on a on a package. Like that's that's pretty cool. And I think the coolest part is when. They're walking through a grocery store right and they're walking through the bar aisle and all of a sudden like they're there they are it's cool to see it on social media but when you walk up and you grab that bar and like you see that package like that's when they've had the most intimate reaction
0: that's really cool i had um caitlin looney lens landisberg on the show she was the founder of sufferfest beer and the question i asked her was how what's it like seeing your product out in the wild for the first time or you know do you still have that same reaction she said the same thing you just described you know, seeing it on a store shelf or someone drinking a beer on the patio and you're like, man, I'm, that's my product. That's what I created. So, you know, draw the parallels between the athletes being able to grab their own bar off the shelf is, is really cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and keep in mind, like I, I work for the company. Like, I think Gary is probably the most proud of itself, all, right? Like I, yeah. I, he is such a, uh, an amazing leader, right? He's such yeah. a balance of, of humbleness and competition and hunger and and, and drive and compassion and empathy. Like he kind of, you just hit him and his wife Kit actually just embody all of that. So yeah. the reason the Sustained Campaign came to life was they, Kit and Gary stepped back in as co-CEOs. Part of my transition was learning how this business world works. But then all of a sudden I see how an entire business changing, right? Yeah. And when, it changes, when the leadership changes, like the entire company changes, right? You know, here we are, we actually just announced our, a new CEO um, starting next week. Yep. She's, she's amazing. Like from what, from what we've seen and heard, we um, will all be her uh, next Monday, June 1st. Yeah, um, But it's exciting to be all part of all this change at a, you in, in a bigger, bigger company like this.
0: Yeah. And change will never stop. And uh, you know, you, we were talking before the show, you moved family back to Boulder, um, you know, and then you haven't even really been in the office because no one's working in the office anymore. So it'll constantly be that. That was a memory I had from my time at Lululemon was leadership change and you know, uh, directional change and campaign changes and all of these things. And you just have to kind of roll with the punches a little bit, but, you know, act out of innovation as well. Tell me about some of the athletes you get to work with. I know there's some amazing athletes on the roster. We actually had Lindsay Corbin who left a wonderful message saying, yeah, Lucas, good um, I know she's been a
1: long time cliff athlete. Oh yeah. I mean, I love love, Lindsay and Chris Corbin are, are, are kind of the most dynamic duo, uh, I I get to work with. And I I love that. Like they are just like this amazing support network of each other. Like we're working with, with Lindsay as an athlete, working with Chris as a photographer, like, and he's, he's supplying creative with images. These are, those are two really, really great people. You know, I work with a a full list of, of, of amazing athletes. Like I, I love the conversations I have with Jeremy Jones, right? Those always tend to go another direction. (laughs) Uh, you know, he's very passionate about, about climate change and he's the founder of Protect Our Winters. Um, you know, on, on, the, on, the, on another end, you know, we have Kai Leitner. who's been this amazing, up-and-coming climbing talent. Uh, you know, kind of just missed his spot at the Olympics. And he, he's also going through a little bit of transition, right? Trying to figure out what his next phase of, of his sporting career is. Um, you have guys on the other end of the spectrum, Timmy O'Neill, who's this iconic climber, um, activist, right? But again, he, he's probably going—he's going through transition. Right? He, you know, all of the athletes are constantly going through change and transition whether yeah. it's to another event to another sport to another phase of their life whatever it is so i just love being part of that right like yeah. being able to connect with all of them and and either help them or just listen hear them out right because that's half the half the job is just making sure that they have somebody to talk to i love scott jurek elena height Katarina nash like they're like i don't know cliff bar is known for hiring sorry uh, for for signing athletes that are um they embody the same values and purpose that the brand does. Um, you yeah. know, Scott drake has been with us for 21 years. Right. Like what, other, what other company has an athlete on the roster for 21 years? Uh, you know, um, unless you're signing a, a, a you know, a lifetime contract with, with I Nike, right? yeah.
0: <laughs> I also see that you're uniquely um, in a unique position where you can provide that perspective to them as they go through these change and these developments in their career and can be a great sounding board and conversationalist, so...
1: I think so. I think, you know, there, there's plenty of serendipity. There's, there's, there's a level of, of, of trust in yourself, confidence yeah. in, in just taking on the opportunity.
0: This has been a fascinating conversation. I feel like we could talk forever. I, I, want to, I want to talk more. There's more that I want to ask you and I'm curious to know. But I'm going to end it with, with three questions that I like to throw the way of my guests uh, every day. Question one. What's one thing that's changed for you during this isolation lockdown period that you want to keep? once we move past this current
1: phase into the new normal uh, com- comfort in, the, in comfort in the calm um i think there's just there's just been a level of waking up and being comfortable with just sitting still
0: how has that shown up for you is that manifested in being able to you know read more books write more stuff like how does that show up for you in your life uh, yeah books writing
1: um creating in my own way um i really like connecting with the earth uh doing art like doing landscaping, uh, planting plants, um, baking bread, um, th- things like that. And, and also just really just connecting with my family. Like my little daughter, I taught how to ride her Strider over this time. Yeah. And we ride our bikes every day for a couple hours. And we go on rides together, which I'm like, she's not even three yet. And it's the most amazing thing in the entire world. Uh, question two, what's one thing that you thought was
0: important before... This isolation lockdown period that you're happy to
1: leave in the past, the hustle. I really thought the hustle was just something you had to do. Today, today I'm hustling to do this, and I'm going to be exhausted by the end of the day. And I really like just like it, it kind of plays off of, of number one, but just leaning into the calm and and recognizing that good things can still come out of you know a strategic approach and, and a calm approach. You know, there's been so many gifts um, of not having to, having to plan. Yeah, we just said, okay, we just have to be with ourselves. And that's, yeah. that's been the best experience.
0: Number three, what's been the most memorable moment of joy that you've had during this period?
1: I just want to, like, cry over all the amazing moments that uh, that, that my, my kids and, and my wife have, have brought. There's so many. From getting everything done, getting the kids to bed, to say, yeah, committing at, like, 9 o'clock at night to having a, a quote-unquote, date night with my yeah. wife. Where we, don't stop, we don't start cooking dinner until the kids are done. Um, those has been such sweet, sweet moments uh, where, like, I've had we've had conversations with each other that we've never had before in our relationship. I think it's solely because we've given ourselves that opportunity and we've we, we've put away the devices, we've put away uh, any bit of any bit of planning. Like a lot of our conversations are always about what our future is going to look like. And so what what we've been able to do is have these conversations about just what we're feeling, like just putting everything on the table. Yeah, Those have been our conversations and those are wildly different than trying to plan where you're going to be in six months.
0: I have a similar feeling. We, you know, we've got two adults working here in the house. We've got two kids who need our attention um, and uh, the communication that's required to navigate that um, has been on a level and at a level that me and my wife haven't experienced before. So instead of chipping at each other and getting mad at each other or fighting for our point, it's OK, you know, we have less control than we, we, we would like here. What can we do to work together as a team and as a, as a partnership to make sure that we're all getting what we need out of these times? And it's been yeah. amazing to be able to be a part of those conversations.
1: Yeah, and it goes back to just being so exposed. Like, there's nowhere to hide. Yeah. And even if you're alone, there's still nowhere to hide. You can't hide from yourself, <laughs> right? Like, and yeah. we have a small house. Like, we, I can't hide. I'm in, like, I'm in my <laughs> son's room right now. His cribs right there, right? Like, there's nothing fancy around me you know, and that's, and that's half the beauty of it. It's just, all right, here, here I am.
0: I love it. it. There's a power in the imperfection, I think is the way that I'm kind of thinking about it is we know we're no longer restrained by having to be perfect. We can just be, and that's okay. Yeah, exactly. This has lived up to all of my expectations. I really appreciate it. It's been great to hear your perspective. I think you're a very thoughtful, soulful guy, and I can't wait to have many more of these
1: conversations and stay in touch. Thanks, Travis. I think when this is all over, maybe I'll I'll turn the tables on you and uh, do the same thing. Yeah, your story. I'd love to. I'm curious to know.
0: Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, Lucas. What a guy. I really appreciate you sharing your message with us all. Thanks also to you for being here, I really appreciate it and I'm so grateful to bring these conversations to you and I appreciate your support. If this conversation resonated with you, then I'd love to have you share it with two of your friends, those that really need to hear Lucas's message. It's a great way to spread the love and it would mean a lot. Thanks again for being here, I'm Travis McKenzie and this is the Inner Voice Podcast.